Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. You know, yesterday I was reading from Henry Wallace's April 7, 1944 op-ed, maybe it was April 9th, 1944 op-ed in the New York Times, in which he was talking about American fascism. You know, what is American fascism? Who are the American fascists and all that sort of thing? And the bottom line, in my mind, is that the billionaire fascists in America now, and I use that word advisedly, that is to say, you know, fascists in the old-fashioned sense of the word, the merger of state and corporate interests combined with belligerent nationalism. I don't know how you can call what we have right now anything other than that. That the billionaire fascists are coming for your Social Security, your Medicare, and your Medicaid. In fact, Right after Trump was elected, this was in 2016, in December of 2016, he was elected in November, obviously, when the election happened, he was sworn in in January. So in between those two, in December of 2016, Newt Gingrich gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation. I have a piece that'll be up on uh, Alternet that has a link to that speech. You can see it's on C-SPAN and whatnot. And he said that with the Republicans taking control of the White House, the House, and the Senate, which they did in the election of 2016, that they were going to, quote, break out of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt model, end quote. That FDR model, of course, is what you and I refer to as the middle class. It was created by these so-called entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, minimum wage, and progressive taxation and the right to unionize. I mean, that essentially created the modern American middle class and destroying the right to unionize, which began aggressively in January 1981 when Reagan was sworn in and immediately went after PATCO, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization, which had endorsed him in the election in exchange for a promise from him that he would allow them to strike or that he would help them get the new equipment that they needed to bring the air traffic control system in this country up to something safe and reasonable. When he didn't do that, they went on strike and he fired them all. And that was the beginning of this, you know, essentially this war. And then you had the Supreme Court, you know, with the Buckley decision in 76 and then Citizens United in 2010, basically turning our country over to whoever the highest, you know, whoever's willing to spend the most on politics. 
here in Portland, we're in the uh, Vancouver, Washington media market, and we're getting these ads from this guy, uh, Rob, I'm forgetting his last name, but he's a former senior official in the state of Washington. And he, he says, hi, I'm Rob, uh, whatever my name is, and I'm a consumer advocate. And I was when I was the, you know, fill in the blank, the AG for the state of Washington. And then goes on to talk about how the carbon tax is a terrible thing and you have to do away with it. I look Rob up and it turns out he was the Republican and the ad is paid for by the oil companies. Surprise, surprise. But it's running constantly. Just like the, uh, gee, we don't want to tax our groceries ad here, which, you know, is, of course, actually writing into the Constitution that the legislature of the state of Oregon may not pass a tax on sugary sweetened sodas or other sugary sweetened drinks, which we know are poison. I mean, they, they cause obesity, they cause type 2 diabetes. We know this, but it's like, you know, whoever's got the money is like running the show. So now, now that this is happening, right, now, now that they've, they've got this massive debt, and you've been, you know, you've, for 15 years I've been ranting about Jude Wininsky and the two Santa Claus theory. Here it is. When Republicans are in office, run up the debt. When Democrats come into office, and, and right now you know Mitch McConnell is thinking, okay, in November the Democrats are going to be in the House of Representatives. They're going to control it. We're going to get them to shoot Santa. And so what does Mitch McConnell say? Well, uh, we're very concerned about this deficit. It's disturbing. And so, of course, we've got to look at well, here's his exact quote, spending on entitlement programs must be addressed by both Republicans and Democrats. Right. So the DSCC, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, just replied saying to Mitch McConnell, he said, every Republican Senate candidate is on the hook for Mitch McConnell's plan to cut Medicare and Social Security. First, it was jeopardizing pre-existing conditions coverage. Then it was pursuing an age tax that would charge older Americans more for care. Yes, the Republicans proposed that. And now it's targeting the benefits Americans have paid into. This is the new Republican platform. And by the way, the uh, Treasury Department just reported that the fiscal year 2018, which ended October 1st, the 2018 year, federal year just ended. And we showed a deficit of $779 billion, three quarters of a trillion dollars is the deficit for last year, for 2018. Well, it turns out that, you know, according to the, the numbers of our Treasury Department, if we were not still in Iraq and Afghanistan, and if there had never been a Bush tax cut or a Trump tax cut, and things were going just fine before these huge tax cuts, it's not like people were suffering, we would right now have a $156 billion surplus, a budget surplus. Oh, and Jamal Khashoggi, this is starting to get bizarre. The New York Times is reporting that they cut his fingers off while he was still alive. And this report over on Raw Story by Travis Geddes, journalist Jamal Khashoggi was tortured and dismembered over seven minutes while he was still alive, according to a Turkish source who heard an audio recording of the murder. The Washington Post columnist was abducted from the Consulate General's office at the Saudi Consulate in Istanbul and dragged into a study next door. A witness downstairs heard horrendous screams, reports Middle East Eye, Quote, 
The consul himself was taken out of the room, the source told the website. There was no attempt to interrogate him. They had come to kill him. The head of forensic evidence in the Saudi General Security Department is a guy by the name of Salah Mohammed El Tubegi. He was part of this 15-man hit squad. He's the guy who brought the bone saw. The source said Tubegi started to cut up Khashoggi's body on a table in the study while the journalist was still alive, and the killing took seven minutes. Tubegi put on headphones and listened to music as he dismembered Khashoggi's body with a bone saw, and he advised other squad members to do the same. Tubegi said in the recording, when I do this job, I listen to music. You should do that, too. This is getting very strange. What should we do about this? How do we deal with Saudi Arabia? But now you've got a federal judge said to Betsy DeVos, you must enforce the law that Barack Obama put into place that protects kids who got screwed by for-profit colleges and these scams like Trump University. You have to protect those. And Betsy DeVos said, no, I'm not going to enforce that law. And for almost two years now, she has refused to enforce that law. And a federal judge just said, no, you have to do it. Attorneys general from 18 states and D.C. sued and they won the lawsuit. A federal judge said, you got to do it. So that's kind of the good news. Here's the bad news. Mitch McConnell cut this deal with Chuck Schumer to say, okay, we're going to recess Congress. We're all going to go home and everybody can go home and campaign. And we're going to put these 15 federal judges through. Now, the 15 federal judges would have gone through one way or the other. So this wasn't like Schumer gave something up. But what McConnell did was as soon as the Democrats left town, he started pushing more federal judges through with just the Republicans. And they're trying to push them onto the Ninth Circuit, which is the court that blocked Trump's Muslim ban. They're trying to pack the Ninth Circuit right now. One of these guys, Eric Miller, one of these judges that they want to put on the circuit, said the Ninth Circuit is out here. Maria Cantwell is, you know, Washington State. That's the Ninth Circuit. And she's saying, I'm going to blue slip this guy. Home state senators have traditionally have had the right to block a federal judge that they don't like. Mitch McConnell saying, no, sorry, I'm going to ignore you. You're not here. See you later. We're Republicans. We're going to put these judges on these courts so that the next time Betsy DeVos decides she's not going to enforce the law, that she wants to stick it to the students, there's not going to be a federal judge to stand up for the students. You're going to have a federal judge who is a Republican appointee who is going to say, ha, screw the students. This is the way things are going. And like I said, the fascists are coming for your Social Security and your Medicare. It's up next. Cheryl in Hillsborough, Oregon, watching us on Facebook Live. Hey, Cheryl, what's up? Hello. Yes, um, I am on uh, SSDI. So you're on Social Security Disability Insurance. Disability Insurance. I am 61. But uh, my concern has been, you know, I keep hearing that they won't touch Social Security, and I know I don't trust that promise at all. But what my concern is, is disability going to be treated differently because it's not true social security. It's a subset. I think that's a very serious and legitimate concern, Cheryl. What we've seen over the last couple of Republican administrations, particularly during the Bush era, um, that they have made it harder and harder to qualify for social security disability. And so it's now a process that typically takes, you know, at least two tries, often a lawsuit, and typically takes about two years. I don't know if that was your experience. 
It wasn't actually. I, I was able to get it on the first go round. Okay, well, good. But you know, my guess is that what they'll do is they'll tighten up the requirements. They'll make it more difficult, and they'll also. I mean, they did this just with the last budget. They cut millions of dollars. I forget the exact amount. I think two hundred fifteen million sticks in my head, but I, you know, I can't swear to it. Um, but they cut millions of dollars out of the Social Security budget, not in terms of benefits, but laying off employees so that when you are applying for disability insurance, you know, you've got, you know, uh, half as many people dealing with the same number of applications. And so it takes twice as long. And so that slows the process down. So, yeah, I think that the disability payments and again, odds are that you will not be the victim of this. Odds are it would be our children's generation who will be the victims of this. But, um, you know, they're going to they're going to go after it. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. OK, thank you very much yeah. for your answer. Thank you, Cheryl. Good talking to you. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online. And because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Sanjeev Sriram is with us, MD, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences, Medicaid and Medicare advisor to Social Security Works. SocialSecurityWorks.org is the website. He is the host of the Dr. America program on We Act Radio, the website WeActRadio.com, our Washington, D.C. affiliate. You can tweet him at Dr. Sriram, S-R-I-R-A-M, or at We Act Radio. Dr. Sriram, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us. Donald Trump is proposing to put in charge of Medicaid the woman who ran the Health and Human Services in Maine for crazed Governor Paul LePage, the right-wing whack job up there. Uh, her name is Mary Mayhew. What do we know about Mary Mayhew? Mary Mayhew was the former health commissioner for the state of Maine, and like you said, she worked under Paul LePage. And while she was in that position, she eliminated nearly 70,000 people from Maine's Medicaid program, also called Maine Care. How did she do that? Through a variety of ways, mostly by arguing that she was doing it for fiscal purposes and by scaling back benefits and more or less, I would call it neglecting her job. There was a report from the Office of the uh, Inspector General that came out regarding the fairly large number of patients, 133 very vulnerable patients who died on Mayhew's watch. And that was during the period of January 2013 to June 2015. And the, the reason why these patients died is that first off, these are developmentally disabled adults. So these are very vulnerable patients. 
and they were already facing critical incidents for things like sexual assault, suicidal behavior, and suffering injuries that actually required hospitalization. And what the report found was that Mayhew's Department of Health and Human Services in Maine did a very poor job of requiring agencies to report these incidents, to follow up on those reports, to figure out, okay, why is this happening? Can we establish a pattern here that we can act upon? And then actually doing the enforcement work to protect patients. And so you have a ton of people who are losing health care. You have people who qualify for the program but are getting inadequate care. And it was so bad that you actually had 133 people die. So here we have Maine, which is, you know, population-wise, a very small state. I don't know off the top of my head. Perhaps you do. I'm guessing the population is probably around 4 or 5 million for the state. About. And during her reign, basically, they died as a consequence in part of what she was doing running that program. And in a state that small, she was successful in knocking 70,000 people off the Medicaid roll. What will she do to the entire United States, all 340 million of us, when Donald Trump puts her in charge of Medicaid nationally? Right. So, you know, Maine, I just double-checked it, it's uh, 1.3 million people. So it's, it's wow. a smaller state. So knocking 70,000 people off is a huge percentage of... Exactly. Wow. And, right. And so when you look at the national trend of Medicaid, Medicaid and CHIP, that's the Children's Health Insurance Program, that covers one in five... Americans. So that's 20% of us, about 70-something million people. And if you are somebody like Mayhew, who comes into this job and thinks, gosh, 70 million is, is too many people, you know, that's a dangerous outlook and approach to a job where your first duty of overseeing Medicaid is making sure is everybody who is eligible for the program enrolled in the program? Is everybody who is enrolled in the program getting the services that they have a legal right to? And are we doing a good job? Like, what, like how are we doing on quality? How are we right. doing on efficiency? Right. And I don't think that Mayhew like, has prioritized any of that. Yeah, clearly. And, you know, at least during her time in Maine. So the question, Donald Trump wants to put her in charge of Medicaid. Is this a process that Congress has any say over? Does this require, for example, Senate approval? A, and if so, what's going on? And if not, what are our other options to inhibit his ability to do this or slow it down, stop it, ring the fire bell, whatever? From what I know about the process, it's that Seema Verma, the current director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, who would be Mayhew's boss, has selected her. As far as who gives approval, it's a good question. I need to double check. But I, you know, regardless of the who the approval process is, I would say that it is always important to write your members of Congress to let them know that you are paying attention to this issue, that right. you have grave concerns, and that there are any number of people who are qualified to run Medicaid who are who are not committed to um, looking at patients as entries on a spreadsheet and eliminating them. I mean, there are yeah. plenty of people who could do this job without putting patients at risk. Yeah. Whew. Amazing. So Mary Mayhew is on her way in, and if she does to the United States what she did to Maine, 1.3 million in Maine, 70,000 she removed from the Medicaid roll. The group points out that under her stewardship, the state has reduced Maine CARES enrollment by 37%. 
37 percent. So if we have 70 million people on Medicaid in the United States, and this, by the way, includes, you know, your grandma in the nursing home, right, where Medicare slides over to Medicaid for that end of life stuff, if I have this right. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Medicaid does, depending on where you live, it's anywhere from half to two thirds of long term care. Right. So even if your grandma is not at you know the end of life, if she's still in her own home, but getting somebody to come and help her with some activities of daily living, making sure that her refrigerator is stocked, that her toilet hygiene is good and clean. Those are services that Medicaid provides. If somebody like Mayhew looks at the budget and says, you know, uh, somebody's coming and seeing your grandma every day. Maybe it needs to be just about every other day or once a week is going to be fine. That's a tremendous loss for the dignity. Well, and it puts people at risk of dying. I mean, you know, again, yeah. you know, 130 plus people died while she was running this program in Maine because of, in part because of her incompetence. When this gets applied, instead of being applied to a couple of hundred thousand people, to 70 million people, if she tries to make a 38% cut in that, you know, you're knocking tens of millions of people off the right. Medicaid rolls or damaging it. Dr. Sriram, thank you so much for being with us today. Anytime. Great talking with you, Dr. Sanjay Sriram. The headline over at Daily Kos by Joan McCarter. Grassley and McConnell screw Democrats are still packing courts with Trump's judges in recess. This to basically save Betsy DeVos and, and the others from ever having to worry about a federal court blocking another Muslim ban or saying, hey, you know, you've got to you've got to stand up for these students who got screwed. Meanwhile, the Republicans are now <laughs> this is hysterical, right? The House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes's committee has refused to go along with any of the subpoenas that the Democrats wanted to issue. They refused to interview any of the witnesses in the Trump-Russia stuff that the Democrats wanted to interview. They've completely politicized the entire process. They issued a report that they didn't even discuss with the Democrats. No Democrats knew about it or signed off on it saying, it's all good, Trump is cool. And they've spent millions and millions of dollars investigating Hillary Clinton and her emails and the Uranium One deal and all this other kind of stuff. This is the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee, right? And right now, fully one third of all the Republicans in the House of Representatives have put their name on the list to ask Paul Ryan or the next Speaker of the House, the next or the next Republican leader of the House, if, if it flips to the Democrats, to put them on the Intelligence Committee, because apparently that's the place where you can most effectively suck up to Trump and use it for massive fundraising, become a superstar. But now that it's possible that the Democrats are going to take it over, Tom Rooney, the Republican from Florida, who's on the House Intelligence Committee, <laughs> said this. The House Intelligence Committee has to revert back to the way it was, sort of like the sleeping little classified committee that nobody ever hears about. Right. Republicans have developed a sudden real concern about how the nation suffers from a too highly politicized intelligence committee, just as the Democrats are about to take control of it. Meanwhile, speaking of federal judges and things that Republicans are up to, You'll recall it was John Roberts, the deciding vote in the U.S. Supreme Court, who said on the Obamacare law, you know, Obamacare said that all the states have to expand Medicare, uh, Medicaid, excuse me, and make it available to everyone in the state. And all the red states, not all of them, but most of the red states, the Republican-run states said, no, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to give people health care. Are you kidding? They sued. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and John Roberts said, okay, you don't have to give people Medicaid. 
But down in Arkansas, they had a Democratic governor there for a little while, uh, Mike Beebe, and he expanded Medicaid to cover the entire state of Arkansas, which was great. This is close to 250,000 people. And now there's a Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, and so what he has done is require that you must work 80 hours a month in order to stay on Medicaid. And not only do you have to work the 80 hours a month, but you have to report it on a state website, even if you are working low-wage jobs and you can't afford the internet or a computer, you still have to report it on the website. The population in the United States is most likely not to have access to the internet are poor people. And on top of that, the state keeps taking the website down, just like Trump has already announced that when the enrollment period opens for Obamacare in November, they're going to start taking the Obamacare sign-up site down for maintenance, which they did last year, too. So you can't even sign up, which is bizarre. So here's the news. That's kind of the, the setup for the news. Here's the actual news. This is uh, Joan McCarter writing over the Daily Coast. The state of Arkansas announced Monday it's kicked 4,100 people off its Medicaid program for failure to meet the state's new work requirement. That's on top of 4,300 people who lost coverage last month and another 4,800 who are going to lose it next month. Now, Kentucky tried to do the same thing, by the way, and a federal judge blocked it. Another reason why Mitch McConnell is pushing federal judges onto these courts, even while the Democrats have gone home to campaign. And he, and he lied to Chuck Schumer that he was, you know, he was saying, oh, well, I would never do that. He's doing it right now. It's amazing. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, thanks for watching Free Speech TV on your Roku box. What's up? Nazadrovia, comrade, is another glorious day in Trumpistan, is it not? Indeed. With one exception, uh, I don't know why we don't start calling them as we see them. Mitch McConnell held up Obama's Supreme Court pick, Merrick Garland, and then slammed through, boof, Kavanaugh. I think we got to start considering these guys are treasonous and that, oh, that we feel free to label them as un-American, the party of Trump. Yeah. It, it, these are certainly not traditional American values. This is just raw power politics. I mean, this is Machiavelli 101. And... I, it's the, the thing that, that astonishes me is that more Americans are not horrified by this. Uh, the thing that, that, that relieves me slightly is that you do have the, the kind of David Jollies of the world, you know, the former Republicans who are saying, okay, enough already, call Wallace and whatnot, but they're still Republicans. I mean, they well, still want to privatize yeah. Social Security. David Jolly will go on TV and Nicole Wallace will run her show and they'll all talk about, oh my God, Trump is so terrible, or Joe Scarborough for that matter. But they still want to privatize Social Security. They still want to do away it, with Medicare. And cut back on uh, voting rights. I mean, it just, uh, I shared on Facebook uh, something that uh, just when I saw it blew my mind, that uh, the people who originally inhabited this continent you remember George Carlin's pitch about crowding them off the continent entirely, and now we're taking away their voting rights. The original inhabitants now are not even considered residents. Right, in North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is amazing. And you're talking about 70,000 Native Americans in North Dakota, which is 10% of the entire voting population of that state. And, wow. and the Supreme Court just backed them up, uh, just backed up the Republicans in North Dakota. And said, "Yeah, you can, you can, you can say to folks, if you don't have a street address, if you only have a post office box, you can't vote." Now, I don't recall seeing that in the Constitution. 
But the Supreme and, Court you know, seems to, to think recall, it's there. I'm trying to imagine the children of these uh, people that are inhabiting the party of Trump looking their grandfathers in the eyes and being proud of them. That's not going to happen. Hard to say. <laughs> you know, hard to oh, say. God, I mean, you've Tom. got you've got this whole generation of proud boys and whatnot, all these young people coming up who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we love Trump and we're going to go out and kick some ass. And it's, right. it's hard to say, Chaz. I, I don't think. And how just... does that guy yesterday have the temerity to tell you, do you know what's going on in Portland? Yeah, 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 I kind of do. And, and your thing about Trumpistan, I don't know how to take that viral, but it, it's, you know, <laughs> I'll keep pushing it. you know where to find it. Yeah. OK, thanks a lot, Chaz. Good to hear from you. On the you. Twitter feed. Thanks. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Keep keep tweeting this stuff and I'll keep retweeting it. John in Edgerton, Wisconsin. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yes, I've been going door to door for Iron Stash around here, and Randy Bryce. It comes down to fascism. I usually call it corporatism because see, we have a lot of union people around here, and we understand that the corporations they don't want to hear from the people. The one thing they hate the worst is to have the people tell them how to run their business. Right. And it almost seems like now Trump is using, or the Republicans are using the exact same sample example of. Uh, Union busted, and they mm -hmm. want—they don't want the people to have a voice. Yeah. I, no, they're yeah. right up front about it. They're right yeah. up front about it. And then you got yeah. you know big corporations that are right up front about it too. I mean, you you know Amazon now is is uh, you know having their their managers when they took over Whole Foods, they're they're having their managers sit down and watch these videos about how evil unions are and how they screw things up. Yeah. It's that's, that's basically and they lie to you right out front, and you know it's a lie because everybody else has worked in the union around here, and. The other one point I wanted to bring up, too, is we used to have a shoe factory in Edgerton, and we used to make military shoes. You know, we had mm -hmm. Les Aspen down here as our representative, and we used to get a lot of pork barrels. It just seems like pork is bad, but, it, but now they just ship it all overseas. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, the Buy America Act was passed in the 1930s that said that the federal government has to source products from American manufacturers. But there's a provision in there for a waiver from the president. And Reagan started passing out these waivers like they were candy to, to federal agencies so that they could buy things from overseas. And now it's just absolutely routine. Every president has done it ever since. John, thanks for the call. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman University Book Club, and today we're reading from Robert Draper's book, When the Tea Party Came to Town. The original title of this book when it first came out was called Do Not Ask What Good We Do. And this is the only book that tells the story of how the Republicans got together the night that Barack Obama was being inaugurated 
and decided that for the next four or eight years, they were going to do everything they could to destroy our first black president's presidency. And so I'm reading from the prologue, and he's talking about how Frank Luntz had organized that dinner that I was just mentioning. Um, uh, he was very happy about that. The dinner tables were set in a square. This was at the Caucus Room restaurant in a private dining room. It was a little restaurant down at the corner of 9th and D Street. The dinner tables were set in a square at Luntz's request so that everyone could see each other and talk freely. He asked that Gingrich speak first. Gingrich was happy to oblige. And, you know, it goes on through this. Pete Huckstra said, so we're in the depths. This was their plan. You know, what their party had done from 94 to 2000, what the Democrats had done from 2006 and 2008, the Republicans would once do again. They would take back the House in November 2010. Then they would use the House as the Republican spear point to mortally wound President Obama in 2011. They would do this and take retake the House and the Senate in 2012. Uh, they would do all this, but only if the American voter blessed them to do so. It made no sense they all agreed to attack Obama personally. He was too popular. Got to be about ideas, said Eric Cantor. Democrats now controlled everything and were already with a monstrously priced economic stimulus package showing their true colors. Given time, they'd screw things up, as the GOP had. But, said Paul Ryan, everyone's got to stick together. Ryan, a 38-year-old Wisconsin congressman and numbers fetishist, it was shiny earnestness recalled in Ozzie and Harriet America. Ryan hated squabbling among conservatives, the paleos versus the neos, the socials against the moderates, and on and on for as long as he'd been on the Hill, which was most all of his adult life. Ryan had long sought to be the Republican Party's glue, pleading for adherence to principles and data. At times, he looked like the underfed, hollow-eyed child of alcoholic parents. We'll only, the only way we'll succeed is if we're united, Ryan told the others. If we tear ourselves apart, we're finished. But, he added, he liked what he was hearing now. Everyone at the table sounded like a genuine conservative. It was a place to start. If you act like you're the minority, you're going to stay in the minority, said Kevin McCarthy. we got to challenge them on every single bill and challenge them on every single campaign. That's Kevin McCarthy. Luntz viewed McCarthy as one of the Republican Party's emerging stars, an easygoing, unthreatening guy who understood that language and appearance mattered as much as substance. Nonetheless, the polar and media guru interjected a cautionary note. Uh, one of the worst per political performances I've ever seen, he said, was when the Democrats took over the House in 2007 and Nancy Pelosi shut out the Republicans and everyone whined about it. If any of you behave that way, I'll go on TV and hold you accountable. Luntz tended to get carried away, but everyone knew he had a point. Senator John Kyle began to focus on immediate tactics. He pointed out that Tim Geithner, Obama's nominee to be Secretary of the Treasury, had failed to pay his Social Security and Medicare taxes during his three-year employment at the International Monetary Fund. Kyle sat on the Senate Finance Committee, which would be conducting Geithner's confirmation hearings the next morning. The Arizona senator intended to go after the nominee. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the approach I should take, he said to the others. There was a pattern here, Gingrich pointed out. Charlie Rangel, the new House and Ways chairman, a House Ways and Means Committee chairman, hadn't paid taxes on his rental property income in more than two decades. Randall and Geithner would be wielding more power over how taxpayer dollars would be spent than anyone else in America. And then there's the web, chimed in McCarthy. There are freshmen who accept campaign money from Rangel. They're caught in the web. McCarthy suggested that they waste no time smacking down the New Democrats for the tax ads. The dinner lasted nearly four hours. They parted company almost giddily. The Republicans had finally agreed on a way forward. Go after Geithner, and indeed Kyle did the next day. Would you answer my question rather than dancing around it, please? Show united and unyielding opposition to the president's policies 
Eight days later, Minority Whip Cantor would hold the House Republicans to a unanimous no against Obama's economic stimulus plan, begin attacking vulnerable Democrats on the airwaves. The first Democratic National Republican Congressional Committee attacks would run in fewer than two months. Win the spear point of the House in 2010, jab Obama relentlessly in 2011, win the White House and the Senate in 2012. You will remember this day, Newt Gingrich proclaimed to the others as they said goodbye. You'll remember this as the day the seeds of 2012 were, t- were sown. Well, not so much, but I'd say that this is when the seeds of 2016 were sown. Forgotten or at least not discussed that night in the caucus room was what had been sown in America by January 20th, 2009. That was the day the meeting happened, the day that President Obama was sworn into office. On that evening, while the ruling party celebrated in tuxedos and the minority party retrenched over steaks and red wine, U.S. unemployment rate had climbed to 7.6%, the highest such indicator of national misery in 18 years. Things could get much worse. Joblessness in America would exceed 8% the following month. By May 2009, the number would climb to 9.4%, and by October, to 10.2%. And it goes on. It's a great book. Robert Draper, When the Tea Party Came to Town. You, uh, Nick Guthman is on the line with us. He's a progressive organizer and co-founder of Blue Future. You can tweet him at uh, Nick Guthman, G-U-T-H-M-A-N, or at Blue Future Now, the website, ourbluefuture.us. Nick, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure to be on with you, and uh, hello to all the audience. There you go. Thank you. Tell us about your group and how you are working to get young progressives active into the polls. We're seeing just frighteningly low voter participation numbers among people under 35 broadly and under 25 in particular. And in some places, you know, 15 percent of the level of participation that you see among older generations. Some people think this is because during the Reagan administration, the guidelines for public school curriculum were altered by Bill Mm -hmm. Bennett, Reagan's secretary of education. Bill Bennett, who famously had this to say back in the day. I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. But your crime rate would go down. I mean, this kind of idiot, you know, another word comes to mind, but I can't say it on the radio. He's the guy who did away with civics as one of the standards. And so, you know, since the 80s, many of our public schools just simply no longer teach civics. Is that why? I mean, what's going on here and what are you doing to do something about it? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And it is rooted in a long ploy on the other side to uh, limit participation of the people of this country. So what we're doing with Blue Future, we're really excited about is we've been raising money all year and made grants to about 27 students all over the country in some of the most competitive congressional districts. And we made a grant out to them to organize and mobilize their campus for the upcoming election. And so they're focused on two main things as part of our program. The first and most importantly, as you're mentioning, voter registration. And I'm really excited to report just this morning, we got report back from all of our organizers across the country. And over the last month, we've registered over 5,000 voters. And that, you know, is just a small part of an overall narrative uh, and and picture that's been painted that this year in particular, more young people are voting. We need to get those numbers up and we need to do more. Uh, But we're excited to be a part of that. The second big thing that folks are focused on is 
recruiting people to volunteer for the campaigns. Because as you said, they're not getting this education about the importance of their vote, about the importance of community organizing, about the importance of getting out and talking to voters about what's important to them. They're not getting that sort of civics lesson in school. And so we're actually connecting them with uh, some of the most progressive campaigns, some of the most competitive campaigns, and putting our students on the ground, giving them the resources and training they need to uh, get out the vote, get out the word about these candidates who are running on a progressive agenda that will really restore some sanity uh, to our politics, as uh, our former president said. That's great. And people can find out more information about this at ourbluefuture.us. Do I have that right? Yep, that's correct. And certainly follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Instagram as well, where most of uh, the young folks are these days. It's pretty remarkable, everything that's going on, and we have to get these numbers up. If young people would vote at the same percentage as boomers all across the country, I don't think there'd be a Republican left in office. I really don't. Yeah. Um, no, so, we, totally, we totally agree. Yeah. Uh, we came out with a research report earlier this year uh, highlighting about 13 different democracy reforms that uh, we hope our candidates will spearhead when they get into the Congress. Great. Uh, Nick, I got I to, we're, we're hitting the end of the, the hour here, but we'll get you back on to talk about that later on. Thank you, Nick. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Superbeats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Tom Arbin here with you. And uh, the Republicans, by the way, are now saying that uh, we really need to depoliticize the House Intelligence Committee. This is the committee that just kept investigating Hillary Clinton over and over and over again. And, you know, from Benghazi to emails to, to I mean, you name it. And, and, of course, Mitch McConnell now has come out and said, well, uh, we, we said that those tax cuts would pay for themselves. You know, we said that not only would it be revenue neutral, it would be revenue positive, but we now have a trillion dollar deficit. So we have to take on the entitlements. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. We just had to cut these things because we cannot, you know, uh, Welsh on the, uh, the, the billion-dollar tax cut that we gave to rich people who fund Republican campaigns. I mean, we, there's no way we can get that money back from them. So, oddly enough, by the way, just a little detail here, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. The federal deficit for last year the, you know, the fiscal year, the, the, the government's calendar year is not, or the government's fiscal year, the, the, the budgeting year, the year uh, for the government is not January through December. It's, it's October 1st to September 31st. 
So on October 1st, we started the 2019 budget year for the United States government, which means that on September 31st, the 2018 budget year ended. And so now two weeks later, we can look back at last year and see what the situation was. And sure enough, last year we had a three quarters of a trillion dollar deficit in just one year. We added three quarters of a trillion dollars to our debt, to our national debt, $779 billion. And interestingly, four Republican policies. If you got rid of four Republican policies, we would have had a $156 billion surplus. Now, remember that when the Republicans start saying, oh, we've got a debt, we've got to cut Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, oh my God. No, if there was no war in Iraq, which we relied into by a Republican president, if there was no war in Afghanistan, which a Republican president took us into, uh, you know, without needing to, we didn't need to take down an entire country to get bin Laden. In fact, Mullah Omar, who ran Afghanistan, was perfectly willing to arrest him and turn him over to us. It was reported in the Washington Post. Bush said, no, I'd rather have a war. War presidents get all kinds of power, you know. So if we didn't have a war in Iraq and we didn't have a war in Afghanistan, and we didn't have the Bush tax cuts and we didn't have the Trump tax cuts, four simple Republican policies, if we didn't have those things, this year we would have paid down the, uh, paid down the, debt on the national debt by $156 billion. In fact, had, and this, you know, this is an amazing statistic, but had George W. Bush not done his tax cut and his two wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, and had Donald Trump not done a tax cut, we would have nearly paid off the entire federal debt by now because Bill Clinton left that kind of a surplus. That is breathtaking. I mean, that's just absolutely breathtaking. Tom Hartman here with you. We've covered a whole lot of territory so far. And, uh, you know, one of the recurring themes throughout the day has been essentially Republican perfidy. <laughs> you know, the, their, their willingness and, and enthusiasm for lying and, and uh, cheating and stealing and all, you know, all this kind of stuff and what the consequence of that is. And, and how, how vulnerable are people? And, and, you know, is it actually working for them that they lie to people? For example, check out this ad. Here you go. The screaming, the violence, the smears and death threats. The far left moving to socialism, undefended open borders, immediate tax increases, 100% government-run health care. The booming economy stopped. Nancy Pelosi back in power, gridlock, and then impeachment. Is that really what you want? Voting for any Democrat gets you all of that. Yeah, and <laughs> this is their sales pitch, right? It's the screaming mob. And then they show pictures of women standing outside of Chuck Grassley's office, or it's the Hispanics are coming for you, the African-Americans are coming for you, the gay people are coming. You know, this is essentially what they've been saying for 40 years. This is Lee Atwater all over again, although Lee Atwater's, you know, dead and gone. By the way, I saw last night on, on uh, Rachel Maddow's show that Lee Atwater on his deathbed confessed that he set up Gary Hart. 
Uh, which is really interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I want to know more about this because uh, Louise and I spent a week with Gary Hart and his wife on a Air America cruise back, geez, 12 years ago, something like that. It never came up. I'm wondering if anybody's interviewed Donna Rice and what the deal is, because apparently, you know, he was sitting on the piling and she jumped on his lap and they took a picture and boom, off to the National Enquirer with it, uh, which, of course, David Pecker's publication, uh, Good Republican. But in any case, you know, years and years of dirty tricks. Taking out Gary Hart was sort of like taking out Ed Muskie, the same thing. You know, Richard Nixon did that in 72 because he knew that Ed Muskie would beat him. And so, uh, you know, hey, let's slip him a little uh, Mickey here, or, you know, or set him up and, and make him look uh, weepy and, uh, you know, et cetera. So, so there's that. Uh, down in San Diego, You've got Duncan Hunter, who is under indictment, right? Five dozen indictments for illegally spending donor-given campaign funds on himself, his wife, and his mistresses. A string of affairs, apparently, Duncan Hunter has had. And now, you know, trying to save his, his butt, he's going full racist. The guy that he is uh, running against... Amar Yasser Najjar is one of his parents is Palestinian, the other is Hispanic, and he is a Christian and an American. I mean, one of his parents is Palestinian ancestry, and another is a Latino ancestry. And the ad says, and his his uh, his name is Campa Campa Najjar now. He changed his name to honor his mother, not to trick the government or something like that. But the but Duncan Hunter is going. He changed his name to Amar Kampa Najjar, so he sounds Hispanic. This is how hard, by the way, that the radical Muslims are trying to infiltrate the U.S. government. Well, this guy isn't Muslim, so you've got a racial slur, a religious slur, built on a lie. But I guess that's how Duncan Hunter rolls, right? This is how the Republicans roll. Arkansas just kicked off another 4,100 people from their Medicaid rolls. More people are going to die in Arkansas. They're averaging around 4,000 a month that they're knocking off. Ever since Asa Hutchinson, the Republican, uh, replaced the uh, Mr. Beebe, the previous Democratic governor who had expanded Medicaid in Arkansas. So now they put uh, this work requirement in. 76,000 people in the state are subject to this work requirement. And so they get kicked off. They lose their health insurance because they're low income. And that's the whole point of Medicaid is to be there for people who are low income. The Khashoggi story is getting weirder and weirder now. Apparently, there is a, a recording of this. Uh, one of the stories that I heard uh, a little while back was that it was recorded by his Apple Watch. I don't know if that's the case, but you know, because we yeah, there's just so much that we don't know. But what we do know, according to the Turks, is that it took about seven minutes to kill Khashoggi. And that first, after they snatched him and beat him, they cut his fingers off while he was still alive, according to the New York Times today. And then this from uh, Travis Geddes over at uh, Raw Story. He was tortured and dismembered over seven minutes while he was still alive. Uh, he was abducted October 2nd from the Consul General's office at the Saudi Consulate in Istanbul, dragged into a study next door. A witness downstairs heard horrendous screams. The consul himself was taken out of the room, the source told the website. There was no attempt to interrogate him. They, they had come to kill him. The head of forensic evidence of the, of the Saudi General Security Department is a guy by the name of Salah Mohammed al-Tubaghi. 
He's the, he was the doctor, right? He was among the 15-man squad who arrived by private jet. You fly in and out of places by private jet. Rich people do this. You don't have to go through airport security. So you can bring a bone, bone saw with you. The source said Tubegi started to cut up Khashoggi's body on a table in the study while the journalist was still alive, and the killing took seven minutes. Tubegi, the doctor who was cutting up Khashoggi, put on earphones and listened to music as he dismembered Khashoggi's body with a bone saw, and he advised other squad members to do the same. He said on this recording, he said, when I do this job, I listen to music. You should do that, too. Right. And while a federal judge just stopped or actually forced Betsy DeVos to actually enforce the law, there was a law passed during the Obama administration that said that if you are a student and you got screwed by a for-profit university like Trump University, if you, if, you got, if you got hustled on a loan, if you got, you know, basically if you got screwed by one of these sham for-profit universities that are just proliferating across the country, Betsy DeVos loves these things. She invests in them. If you get screwed by them, the government will help you out. Will help you recover your money and make you whole. That was the law passed during the Obama administration. For a year and a half, almost two years now, Betsy DeVos has been refusing, as head of the education department, refusing to enforce that law. And a federal judge came along and said, you must do it. And so theoretically, they're going to start today. Now, Mitch McConnell doesn't like those kind of federal judges who actually ask them to enforce the law. He would much rather have right-wing Republican ideologues on the bench. So, you know, he cut this deal with Chuck Schumer. Uh, we'll let everybody go home and campaign between now and the election if you'll just approve 15 federal judges. Well, Schumer went along with it because the 15 federal judges would have got it approved anyway. All, all McConnell had to do was submit it to a vote. It would have taken an extra half a day. So, you know, Schumer was like, okay, you know, no price to pay. In fact, he was, I, I'm sure, wondering, geez, why did McConnell be so reasonable? Well, now we found out. As soon as the Democrats left town, McConnell started ramming more Republican judges through. He's literally doing it as we speak. Chuck Grassley and Mitch McConnell moving these federal, you know, and, and, they're, and the first court that they're trying to pack right now is the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit out here on the West Coast is the most liberal of all the courts. And one of the guys they're trying to put on this court is from Washington State. Patty Murray has the, had the power up until last year to say, no, he's from my state. I'm not going to approve him. But Mitch McConnell has thrown that. And that's a rule that goes back to the founding of the republic. He's thrown that rule out, too. It's all about raw power. He doesn't give a rat's ass about what's right or what's legal. Mitch in Burton, Washington. Hey, Mitch, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Thank you again for taking my call, Tom. If there isn't anything that's more glaring and in your face about us being fascists is the internment of these children. That even defies court orders. I'd like to know what became. Yeah, that. absolutely. We're we're like what eight, the eighty days out from the court order of reunification. Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, I'm I, I'm looking at the fact that if he is going to go against the law, what's stopping the rest of the people from going against the law? He's setting an example. Louise and I, when we lived in Germany, we visited Dachau, and the camps that they built inside Germany were not death camps. Some of them ended up having cremation ovens, and Dachau did, but it wasn't specifically to kill people. These were labor camps and, mm -hmm. and prison camps. And I think about the people who lived near Dachau, 
um, in the early days, you know, when it was first built. And just thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're criminals, they're reprobates, they're people who don't fit into society. They're, you know, the communists, the unionists, the gay people, and Jews, of course, and, and gypsies. You know, how they just kind of sat around and rationalized that. And it seems to me that we're doing the exact same thing with Donald well, Trump tearing really these bad, families Tom. apart and putting these children in jails, in prisons, in cages. And, and what even concerns me more is, so who's next? Is it the mentally ill? And when they are the ones that are becoming the houseless. In or is society. it liberals? I mean, keep in mind, one of the first groups that, that uh, in fact, in Pastor Niemöller's uh, thing, he's, I think it starts out, first they came for the, for the socialists, uh, yeah. you know, or uh, maybe it was the trade unionists, but basically the same thing, you know. I mean, you know, literally, first they came for the political left. Exactly. And it concerns me, too, that these are children. These aren't the adults like back in the day of the, uh, when the unions were forming. That, that was the first indication of that, yet uh, even the Supreme Court voted it down. Yeah. Yep. So we're, you know, we are our own worst enemy, Tom. We, we can be our own best friend, but we sometimes choose the dark side. Well, I, I, I'm generally an optimist, and I, I try to be optimistic about things. Uh, it's my nature, actually, to be optimistic about things. But I'm looking at this situation with the death of life on Earth, basically the destruction of the web of life, and then mm -hmm. the, the echoing of that into the destruction of the web of politics, you know, the intolerance that we're seeing on the right for a political point of view that really just says, let's have free education and health care. I mean, you know, that's it. <laughs> and and I, I think it's all one fabric. I think it's all one violent, hierarchical, patriarchal, white supremacist sickness, for lack of a better phrase, and human supremacist sickness. Mitch, thanks a lot for the call. Yeah, excellent point. I had missed the kids in the cages in my rant. I really, really need to be included. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us is Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen. And here I am at KTRC, your affiliate in Santa Fe. Wonderful. So uh, um, there's a lot going on. First of all, there are the absentee ballots that were assigned in Atlanta. Over a thousand of them were not allowed on uh, uh, they were discounted by the Atlanta radio station. I'm sorry, by the Atlanta, uh, not radio station, but the, the Secretary of State. Right. And now the ACLU is suing them uh, because they're saying signatures didn't match. Give me a break. Yeah. Also, um, we do know that Bloomberg is reporting that Robert Miller, who, of course, is doing the and Russia investigation, will have a full report right after the midterms, which, will, of course, is going to happen November 6th. Also, now, uh, Donald Trump says he hasn't heard the tape. He doesn't know if there's a tape. Uh, but we do know that the Secretary of State uh, is coming back from Turkey. Also, ProPublica now says that the Trump family did not tell the truth for investors, uh, that they uh, claimed in Las Vegas that they were sold out, but only 25% of the units were sold by 2011. And the result is that they did build it uh, in Fort Lauderdale. They entered into foreclosure. Uh, and so there's many, many stories that ProPublica has looked at and found out that they did not 
actually wind up yeah, doing actually, at all in, in, in fact, any from, way, shape, from, or form. From that report, what I'm seeing is Ivanka lied to the investors, Donald lied to the investors, the investors lost 35 or $55 million or something like that. And, That's and, right. And, and on top of that, remember Cyrus Vance? Oh, I do. Yeah, he, he's a Demo you know he was a Democrat, right? And he and he was the prosecutor in New York who was supposed to go after and he the, let it go the Trump family. Well, he let it go after he, after they made a thirty-five thousand dollars campaign contribution to him. So now they're starting to look into Cyrus Vance for taking a bribe from the Trumps. Well, that's right. Back in the day, absolutely. It's amazing. And. Also, the the Trump campaign says that they are going to, not the Trump campaign, President Trump said that he's going to eliminate the USAID money to Honduras if those people come through Guatemala and come to the Mexican border. The Mexicans are also doing that as well. Wow. Wow. So it's crazy. Now, there are over 1,000 people that are still missing from Hurricane Michael. Most of these people are very, very old or have a disability or are living alone, and they have not been in touch with their family members. How so many? We may see a very over, well, 1,135 people so far, and the number is increasing. Wow. That's uh, Katrina level. Well, Katrina was almost 3,000 people, wasn't it? Or 2,000. Right. I forget the exact number, well, but it was a lot huge. of people, and, and you know, the reason we built the community center in Katrina is because people didn't know how to swim. But uh, the question is, what's going on now? And of course, uh, we know that a niece put help, uh, a, a couple put a help sign, and a niece found it while going on the internet, and she sent help to them and actually got them out of trouble. Wow. Wow, would that be like Google Earth or something? I mean, that, that's, that's remarkable. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly how she found it. You're That's, absolutely right. That is incredible. There's got to be a lot of a lot of uh, people who are Google Earthing right now to to see you know what what it looks like and uh, or you know the, 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 those satellite feeds. Ellen, would you please give my very best regards to everybody at KTRC? They were one of our very first commercial affiliates. It's a great radio I station. I will, and we're sitting right here in the studio. Cool. I have done my show out of that studio. It's been a long time, but I've done my show out of that studio. I'd love to do it again one of these days. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News at KTRC in Santa Fe. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same bat time, same bat place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. There's so much you can do to help support good Democratic candidates. Check it out. Get out there. Go to Rock the Vote, Democrats.org. Get active. Tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.